Welcome to Speaking in First Draft, a Girls Right Now bi-weekly interview podcast series featuring the current and next generation of storytellers. In this podcast, our community members share a draft of one of their works in progress or completed pieces and discuss both the writing process and what creative expression looks like to them. Speaking in First Draft is hosted by me, Catherine Destin, the editor-in-residence and Mentee alumnae of Girls Right Now. Girls Right Now is a New York City-based nonprofit with over 25 years of history, breaking down the barriers of gender, race, age, and poverty to mentor and train the next generation of writers and leaders for life. In celebration of Pride and Caribbean American Heritage Month, we bring you part one of a special two-part episode featuring Girls Right Now fellow Sally Familia and mentee Carissa Caesar. In this riveting conversation, both our guests talk about what it means to explore their Caribbean ancestry and queerness through writing poetry. Carissa opens with three excerpts from their in-progress poetry chapbook entitled Messages from the Radical Diaspora. If you're all about culture, identity, emotional liberation, and history, this episode is for you. All right. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Speaking in First Draft, brought to you by Girls Right Now. Today's episode is hosted by me, fellow Sally Familia, and I'm excited to be in community with Carissa Caesar today. Uh, hi, yeah. My name's Carissa Caesar. I am a poet, fiction writer, TTRPG player, general fun haver, I think, uh, living just outside San Antonio, though I'll be moving to Austin very soon. I'm excited to be here. Amazing. That's very exciting. Congrats on moving to Austin. All right. So thank you for letting us uh, know who you are. Very great introduction. Um, and now I would like to give you the space to share your pieces. So whenever you're ready, uh, you can go ahead and read those cells. Yeah. All of these pieces collectively are an excerpt from uh, what I hope to be a chapbook titled uh, Messages from the Radical Diaspora. This first poem is Maroon the Moon. Go, fetch, run along and along every last axis. Scatter where they cannot find you. We were always on the run. Scatter like marbles that bead and bounce across the floor before all taking flight. Shooting straight Y into white clouds, idly threatening to rain on this parade straight starward. It's a race. If they must eat, let us set the table. Let us link asteroid to asteroid. Let us pray they can't get through an attack of the 17th century, too. This time, we also have guns and canisters of disaster. This time we're on the run, on land, on hand in hand, a fugitive's foundation, on, under, through, over, this is our last do-over, and out, onset of earth in T-minus heaven, no hardship left to leaven, surrounded by light, suckered by flight, suckers. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Carissa. Please continue. This one is titled, Hear Me, Dancers. Hear Me, Dancers. We can follow their leaps in logic. Are we weak? Do not bitch about scarred and bandaged feet. Here, we bumble in they ballet. Be grateful for food at the table. Ye hateful can find the door. Here, don't demand more. Here, we are safe, save a few sons. Save on sales, save up, save your words. They're in one ear and out with the welfare legislation. Man your stations and baby dance. Big feet and tight footsteps, wide hips and their narrow shadow. We bear a wild bear. We are better. We be dancing. But chanting, that's too much. Join Ida by the door and be well elsewhere. We be dancing here. Tire here. Hang out here. Keep hanging. Here, dance. 
in this last poem uh, is titled Cut Weight, Measure Up. I'm new school, new to school. I'm fresh meat and defined, outlined with the way eyes flick right past in the return glance, but that's cool. I'm a science man. That means modern word root work. I watch TED Talks, stare at practice walks, smiles brightened with bitter baking soda, and say, hey, I'm learning from my elders, though the gene pools mix like the Atlantic and Pacific. I'm picking up the lingo, putting down hot takes fresh off the philosophy, then picking those up too, like my dog crapped on the floor. I'm being ignored, like a Jurassic Park's predator, uh, predator, like a predator. I'm fresh meat and, I guess, bloodstained, therefore. I'm overripened apricot dripping black juice. I'm frayed rope on the pier who never mentions the noose. I'm form. I'm palette cleanser. I'm bridge. I'm style blender. I'm not like other girls, not colored girls. I don't want to bust you in your mouth for saying that, but here you pronounce it. I don't want to find your sweet apple body offered at my doorstep in a gesture of benevolence proper in the 50s, but long since rotted now. And I don't want to step on you on my way out and feel the warm fermented oozes like a balm onto my skin. And I, of course, Course, don't want to worry far more about whether my new shoes escape unstained. And I, of course, don't want to taste the evidence of this antiquity milked for its age and get drunk on it. Carissa, I reading these and then hearing you read these, what an honor and complete honor. I am always so astonished by the work that you create. Um, and I'm so grateful Thank to you. Yeah, I'm so grateful to be in this space with you. Um, and like I said, to have heard you read these pieces. Um, something that I noticed while reading it was the musicality of it, the rhythm. Um, and I was just so excited to be actually able to hear you read them. Um, and it's just what I expected. It's phenomenal. Thank you again. Um, yeah, I'm taken back. All right, <laughs> let's get into it. Let's get into it. Uh, yeah. So you mentioned earlier... Uh, that the poems that you shared with us are selections from a larger project entitled Messages from the Radical Diaspora. Um, so I would love to hear about what inspired this collection for you. Yeah, so um, I have been going through sort of a cycle, sort of a constant change about what I want my poetry to be. And a good chunk of the poetry that I write is, is expressive. Um, but Messages from the Radical Diaspora was... Uh, I came up with that title to give myself a project, to kind of give myself a place to focus specifically on race and expressing emotions around race in a way that can communicate to other people all of the different complexities that deal with, you know, being Black, talking to people who aren't Black, talking to people who are, um, and all the different conversations that are happening in there. So it's kind of... um it's it's as if I am taking on the voices of all these different figures um, and I'm imagining, you know, all of these things being overheard and some of them are more like me and some of them are less like me. Yeah. Thank you for, thank you for saying that. And I think that's, um, that shows very clearly in your poems. Like when you said um, taking on these different voices, you can tell in, in all three different poems that um, even the way you read them, you almost embodied um I think about ancestry a lot because a lot of my poems are re are rooted in culture and ancestry, and it almost felt like there was an ancestor speaking through you. Um, in each and every poem, it almost felt like a different ancestor, a different story that had to be shared, um, and that that really just stuck out to me. And like I said, being able to read it and being able to hear you read it, that there's it's such a difference, but there's also it just 
it comes together so well because your voice, it, like I said, it almost feels like it was an ancestor speaking through you. And I, I really appreciate that. And thank you um, for telling me what inspired that collection for you. I would like to, it seems like you almost want, I would love to hear what you want to say. Yeah. Um, sorry. You just touched on what you touched on with the ancestors was exactly it. Um, the Maroon the Moons was inspired um, by Marooners. I was visiting the Virgin Islands where my family is from, and I was talking to um, a professor there at the U.S., uh, the UVI at the University of the Virgin Islands. <laughs> I mess that up every time. Um, named Alassie Davis, and he's an anthropologist and historian and activist there. And one thing I learned about were these people uh, called Marooners who... Um, in the Caribbean, they were usually escaped slaves by sea. In the United States, they usually escaped on land. Um, but they escaped and they built their own settlements. And that inspired that poem and several other you know, story ideas I had. But a lot of this project in its entirety started because I decided I cared about ancestry and the history of my family uh, and the islands my family is from. And so, um, like I mentioned root work in that one poem, it's because it's also something I'm starting to research. Um, root work, which is hoodoo, which is American slave magical practice um, uh, that's native to the South. And so, yeah, it was, it's, it's very much about tapping into ancestors and it was, I'm really glad that came through. Yeah. I, Really appreciate that. Thank you for sharing that background to this first poem as well. I too was interested in um, the, why the Caribbean islands, and it's great to hear that you you know you, you were able to visit it and connect to the island that's um, directly connected to your ancestry. That's really beautiful, and I'm glad you had the opportunity to do that. Um, so as you've mentioned, um, your works are very rooted in your culture. Um, identity, liberation, history, uh, your blackness, your, your identity um, as a queer person. So why did you choose poetry specifically to explore these topics? Um, I honestly can't say that I chose poetry. Um, I have always, it would be cheesy to say poetry chose me, but it kind of did. Um, I, I started writing poetry in second grade. I got this little notebook that was holographic. And so if you tilted it one way, it had puppies. If you tilted the, the other way, it had kittens on it. Yeah. Uh, and I was writing like all of these little silly rhymes and everyone in my class liked it. Um, and they were like, oh, you're the poetry person now. And that just kind of stuck my entire life. <laughs> um, and it, developed into me having like a genuine interest in the forum and reading and studying poetry. Um, so when it came to exploring these topics, it's I, I write in other forums. I write in fiction and I write in essays. Um, and those are all, you know, I, I have a thesis that I'm interested in deeply exploring in, in different ways. Mm -hmm. But poetry for me is, um, it is a display and kind of like honoring an emotion that I felt before. Um, because I can be quite forgetful. And so sometimes I'll find myself reading my old poetry and I'm like, oh, yeah, I've been here before and I've gotten through it before. Um, and so to take all of these big emotions and all these conversations that I'm hearing and participating in about race and to speak them through poetry to as a as a means of honoring them, it just felt natural. That's that's so beautiful. Very beautiful. And I support myself. I, I really do. I, I feel you and I understand um, where you're coming from. I like when you said that 
Um, it's almost like a, an emotion that you're embodying or just something along those lines. I don't want to, I don't want to speak, of course. It just is, is such an honor to be able, like you said, poetry did choose you. It, it's cheesy for a reason. It's true. <laughs> poetry chose you. Um, and you listen to that call and it's wonderful that you've been able to give yourself the opportunity to continue to write. I wanted to learn about your history. That was actually one of my questions. So I'm really glad that that naturally just came up into the conversation. Um, so, you know, when did you start writing? Why did you start writing? And actually, I think this is the perfect time to ask, um, in what ways has poetry changed since you started writing? Since In what ways your poetry has changed since you started writing? Oh, so many of them. <laughs> um yeah, like I mentioned, I uh, I started started at the very early beginning, writing like I I think I was trying to mimic um, Shel Silverstein and like Dr. Seuss um, in them, uh, and so it was, it was like five lines. I wrote about I wrote about ants. I wrote about ice cream, um, just kid stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. And eventually, especially as I, I got a phone. Um, and I got a notes app, which is, you know, the big, the big change um, yeah. for a poet. <laughs> and um, that was a lot of, so I had a creative writing club um, that I started last year in my junior year of high school and then continued until almost until I graduated. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that writing club, something that I told the other students there was that sort of when you're a young writer, you have all of these cliches and all of these feelings that are in your brain. Um, and I feel like there's a stage of writing where you've just got to take all of that out and just get it out and write as much as possible, like the first things you feel um, in order to get down to, you know, once you've gone through the stuff that is your first instinct, the stuff that is most people's first instinct, it really lets you get into like the depth of who you are as a writer and as a person and what you really want to talk about. Um, I, I think that was really, that has been the evolution for me. And I feel like I'm coming into a place where um, my poetry has gone from purely expressive um, poetry that was almost always about somebody mm-hmm. into being able to come to it with, I, I have a thesis, um, whether that be, you know, direct or more metaphorical. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have something here I want to talk about and we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about it. I'm slowly gaining more control over my poetry. Um, I joke sometimes that I, I, I am really jealous of people who can just sit down and write poetry whenever they want. Um, I say that I have to like hold a seance with meadow poetics. I have to like sit there and like feel the vibe and the poem just kind of comes out all at once and then I can do like minor edits and it's finished. Um, I want to be more intentional and I think uh, the more I set specific goals about like the rhythm and the musicality which you mentioned which are a big part of the form I'm trying to step into um, the more control I have over exactly what I want to discuss and express. Thank you um, for sharing all of that and you've shared so much insight already so I'm glad that you know this is being shared with our community because you're you're sharing so much wisdom that I think a lot of us can benefit from. Um, like the intentionality, you know, when you sit down to write, and even um, when you express that sometimes you sit um, you sit down to write and you have to release all of these. You know, it could either be it could be so much. It could be your fears, your anxieties. It could be releasing um, 
those self-imposed beliefs that maybe you you cannot write, that you won't write, that it'll be difficult to do that. Um, and I feel like giving yourself the space to get rid of that and then just sitting with more intention, um, sitting with those feelings, sitting with even, like you said, like a thesis, like, you know, coming, come on, coming into your poetry, knowing what you want to write, that won't always happen. But when it does, it makes it so much more special and so much more intentional because you know that you're here, you're sitting here with a purpose and that there's a reason why. And again, coming back to the, to the ancestry and to the culture and the themes that you navigate in your work, I think that that intentionality is carries that much more weight because you know that you're writing not only for yourself, but you're also writing for your ancestry, for your culture, and you're you're trying to give that a voice. Um, yeah. And that matters so much. Yeah. Yeah. Um it has been something that I'm exploring. I um think that another big part of or I guess two big parts of my journey as a writer has been um kind of discovering what I am allowed to talk about. Uh, I am a military child twice, both of my parents. Um, So I've been bouncing around a lot. And a lot of the foundations that you'll see in popular Black culture about having one neighborhood and growing up with those people and having that entire experience of the enclave and all that has been removed from me. Um, And so my experience is still very much in Black experience, but it's a different one. And also when it comes to things like race and racism, which are topics that can often make people deeply uncomfortable and defensive. um, And then things that can get personal, like being race and being queer, being race, being black and being queer. um, And, you know, being in an interracial relationship, for example, um, there's this fear two simultaneous fears of like, what are other people going to judge me for? And what do I think I'm not allowed to say um, that I think myself and a lot of other writers probably are juggling. Um, And so, yeah, taking life and writing as two connected things, like I can't write without also living well, and I can't live without writing. I won't say writing well, I can live as long as I'm writing. I don't really care if it's good. But yeah, uh, learning to balance those things and taking um, the effects of my ancestors as a part of that, uh, the exploration of that as something that feeds into my writing inextricably uh, is, I I think it's important. And I think giving it weight has been good for me. God, I'm really glad that you've been able to explore that and to give yourself the space because even the sole act of giving yourself the space can be challenging sometimes. So I'm glad that you are doing that for yourself because you deserve that space to be able to write and express yourself. Um, So I am wondering what has been the process of working on this collection? You shared three pieces today, um, but I'm not sure if you have any other ones or how, just how that process has been for you. Yeah. So, um, I think it very first started with a poem that I unfortunately lost. I was trying out new apps and I, I, it was like the perfect, like, I always say this word wrong, epitome. I think it's how you pronounce it. Um, I used to say epitome and epitome, thinking there were two different words. But it was, the, but it was like the perfect epitome of this um I study literature terms. I'm a nerd, but it's kind of a modern black twist on skeletonic verse, which is like a short lined uh, interlocking rhyme sort of verse um, that I use 
mostly, honestly, both to um, represent the idea that I don't need to sound formal to Mm. say things that are important and to mock that idea. Um, Mm. And so it it was this poem about that and I loved it so much. And then I accidentally highlighted, I hit uh, backspace instead of copy, and it was gone. There was no undo button. <laughs> um, and so I've, I've lost lots. I've, um, my entire middle school, I had uh, all of my poems on one phone that was not backed up, and that phone got s- crushed. Um, and so losing poetry has kind of become a part of my poetic process. Mm. Um, and it's it's for me to take all of those ideas and those feelings and you kind of recycle them back into the soup that ideas come out of, you know, where you kind of stir your themes and leave them simmering. Um, and from that poem uh, kind of has come all of these, the, the desire to replicate that specific. It's not a defined form, but it is a, a structure of bringing emotions across through the musicality of sound and rhythm. Um, and it has made that really important to me and it's made that a goal. So I'm using that um, to kind of give a space for all of these, these ideas that aren't formal, these ideas that don't hold up to the, you know, white institutions idea of what classics look like. Um, and I may have walked away from your question a little bit here. Sorry. Um, but I, I think that, yeah, that was really the start of it. And um, now it's sort of reading as much as possible, introducing myself to all of these ideas and really exploring um, exploring race as a topic. I read the 1619 Project recently and it was it changed my entire perspective for the better um, because writing for me has almost always been a excuse to learn things. Um I learn best by writing. Uh, and so I will set myself a goal to write about something and I'll go and I'll research and I'll bring it back to my writing. Um, yeah. And so to do that with race and to, you know, let this project be, here's the culmination of this other learning that I'm doing. It's keeping me outside of my own head as I'm developing, um, not making like a one person echo chamber up in here mm-hmm. um, and pushing me forward. So a lot of, a lot of the process for an individual poem is to see something in my life, let it strike me, um, and sit on it for just enough to like let the initial emotions kind of bubble off, evaporate off, uh, and then to take it to poetry and to think all of my poems are very word-centered and word-choice-centered. They have to be, because uh, the sound is all in those words. And after I've written it, I kind of sit back and I think... Well, one, can I make this better? Um, editing poetry is a skill that I'm getting better at because most of the time it's just there and then it's done. But one, can I make this better? And two, does this fit more within the uh, radical diaspora sort of overarching pieces about race or does this fit in the other category of poetry that I've got going on? Um, because I recent, recently wrote a poem that I don't even know if I titled it anything, um, but it has that same rhythm. And I had to sit back and I was like, this poem is about anxiety. And it's about anxiety in a way that is undeniably also about blackness. But is this, does it fit into the voice of mm-hmm. the poem? Does it fit into that uh, thesis? Um, and so 
writing and letting my writing to sit and um, then deciding afterward what I want to put where has been, I think, a really good part of that process. And I I don't mind the the byproduct of it. I'm glad that I'm getting other sorts of poems also. Thank you so much, Krista. You said so much when I said you were wise before I meant it. Um, oh my goodness, you have dropped some gems um, just by being yourself and sharing your your process of writing. So thank you. I oh wow, I especially appreciate. Um, I keep coming back to this because I, I think as as poets the process of just sitting down and like you said, letting everything evaporate off, bubble off, that that's so important for poets. That's really important for us because we tend to be so, like you said, in our heads, um, so wrapped up in our emotions. And I don't want to generalize, but it kind of tends to be the case. Yeah. Uh, writers, you know, uh, that because a lot of us, we go to the page because we want to be in conversation either with ourselves, with a certain, with certain information, with history, with facts, with, Someone else, we go to the page for that because it's it just might be easier to navigate mm-hmm. what is in our heads through um, through writing, being on the page. And I just appreciate your awareness of that and for sharing your awareness of that because it is it is a process and, and the subject matter that you're working with, that you're exploring, it's something that requires sensitivity and compassion and space. It requires a lot of understanding. Um, and a lot of open-mindedness because history isn't always good and isn't always bad, no matter who, what history you're looking at. You know, there's so many yeah. sides, so many sides to a story, and there's only so much that we know. Um, as young people in, in this, yeah, yeah, we have access to Google and stuff like that, but especially um, Black culture, Indigenous, uh, Latino, like it's so hard. Our history is very skewed. A lot of it is completely, completely eradicated. We don't. There's so much we don't have mm-hmm. access to. So to be able to go to the page and and try to be in conversation with that, it definitely. I, I keep talking about how much weight it carries because it really, really does. To uh, not only to allow yourself to to be in conversation with these um with these topics, but to also treat it with reverence. Because that, that's a word that I've been coming back to lately. As I as I also write um. I think I mentioned I also write a lot about culture, about my history. I'm a Dominican immigrant, so there's a lot of history there that needs to be navigated, especially as a white Dominican. Um, and so a lot of my work is really centered on that history and what it means to to be a poet and to have to be an immigrant, to have a voice and to now write. You mentioned how a lot of us as poets, we we ask ourselves what like we talk about, we think about what are we allowed to write about? Like what can we give a voice to? Um, and that's something that I've always grappled with too. So it's really cool to hear your, your process and how you've been able to navigate this, um, I'm sorry, this collection of pieces and, and to how you navigate those individual works within that, uh, entire collection. And I also really appreciate that you give, you don't put too much pressure on the pieces that you're creating. It's not that you're sitting here like, this has to be for <laughs> For this collection, you know, you you write and whatever comes to you, you give it permission to be. And if it's not a part of the collection, that's okay. You know, you still created something beautiful and something that's worth sharing. Uh, So, yeah, I just wanted to say that. I managing emotions as a writer and as a young person, as a person uh, is a whole ongoing ordeal of life. Um, And I like that, that, that 
internal conflict about what am I allowed to write about? Uh, what am I allowed to talk about at all? Um, sometimes I look at people and I'm like, please get off of Twitter. Please, 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 <laughs> please just get off of Twitter. Your life would get so much better. Um, and I know that Twitter is like a necessary networking platform for so many people. Um, mm. But the way that a lot of social conversations are reduced, um, the way that echo chambers are formed on Twitter, especially on, the, on all of the internet, but I feel like Twitter can be very bad at it. Um, mm. it. It brings people to conversations defensive uh, in a way that is not only unproductive, but like counterproductive, actively taking away from the goal. Try to cultivate a sphere of friends and, you know, to allow it happen in my writing to where I'm like, I have had misconceptions about race because I am growing up in the state of misconceptions about race. Um, <laughs> I am in America, right? Um, I won't know everything, but I cannot feel the full breadth of those emotions unless I allow myself to be wrong in a way that is unafraid. And then learn um, and find spaces that are safe for me to learn. And of course, I have done harm to others. Um, I have said things that were racist and I didn't know. And I, my friends were like, um, don't do that. And I was like, whoops, sorry. Um, but to let those things happen and to do your best and to know that like, we're all going to hurt people probably, um, it creates a space to write and feel freely in a way that I think is really important, um, especially because anger as an emotion is my favorite emotion to write about. Honestly, uh, you have that whole romantic idea of like tranquility and all of that. And that is very cool and awesome. I love Robert Frost. I like writing about anger, uh, especially yeah. as a black person, as a black woman, uh, asterisks after woman. Um, it's, is not an emotion that I am allowed to confront and that I think a lot of people feel they're allowed to confront, um, like off of Twitter. Uh, we connect anger so deeply to a sense of inbuilt personal justice that all other anger is kind of taboo. Um, and so to use sound and like that rhythm and the, all of the plosives and repetition, um, as well as the contrast to smoother forms from uh, smoother scansion is that what i'm trying to say of uh, writing um to allow anger to breathe uh it's it's expression of myself and resistance to that idea of um especially in that last poem uh cut weight measure up was me specifically being really really mad about what i call like iowa caucus flavor poetry um Ooh. like master's degree uh, this poem has been workshopped by a class of people with a billion different backgrounds and like all those backgrounds are great but if you make every poem the average of what it could be across 30 different poets it's not the strong thing that it could be from you um and like that that depth of emotion that anger that idea that like um it's professionalism and individualism and how it comes through in American culture that you kind of have to be bland um, in order to be universal or poetic. I hate that idea. Um, <laughs> and so much of my poetry in that poem specifically is about going like, please stop doing that and stop asking me to do it because I'm not going to. Thank you for sharing that. I loved what you said about anger um, because so many people stray away from, from that emotion, but 
if we see anger as just sadness, anger comes is rooted in sadness. And the angrier you are, the more hurt that you are and the more that you deserve to express that. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, not in ways to harm others because anger shouldn't have to be presented in ways that can be harmful, but you just, you deserve, you deserve the space to feel angry. And again, coming back to writing, we give as writers, we deserve to give ourselves a space to do that and to sit down and to be angry and to write a, this poem. Okay. <laughs> what is it? Iowa? What did he say? Was? Iowa caucus poetry. This poetry. You deserve to sit away at this point. <laughs> that, you know? Um, yeah and And it's it's like i um i have learned over time and it it has been a big journey of a big part of my journey as a black person growing up in non-black areas to see my anger as something that i am entitled to um i am not entitled to the harm i do to other people but i am entitled to the emotions that i feel uh and so a lot of the time whether or not it is a true perception or a accurate perception, my anger exists to point out injustice to me and to grab me by the shoulders and go, hey, do something about that. Say something, you know, and I am so used to I'll be talking to people and mind you, I'm in conservative Texas um, and I'll be Mm -hmm. making a joke about something that happened when I was in fifth grade and I'll joke like I'm still mad about that. And all of a sudden everybody freezes and I'm looked out with like wide eyes because like I am not a person who's allowed to be mad without that association to violence. And, you know, at this point, I've just started reclaiming it Um, because especially my fiction, it comes through less in my poetry. Um, But, you know, that that fear about the Black Panthers, for instance, and that conversation about how things like gun control um, actually overlap with race uh, and the history of that, that we should be mindful of uh, when we're discussing this legislation and who these things can disproportionately affect um, to see violence as this is uh, what's it the language of the unheard, um, which I think is from Fanon. But do not if I do not quote me on that. Um, uh, to see violence as something that people do not because they want to, but because they feel they need to, um, and to come and let myself feel that, that need, which can be like a desperation almost, um, to be heard and to be given a place, um, when I wasn't before to, to take it by force. Um, that has been a part of my poetry and like, it's, a balance because in my life I'm both trying to find places that are accepting of me in the first place so I don't have to do that um, but simultaneously to honor both when I as an individual and when you know we as a ancestry of my entire family and of uh, you know black American and black Caribbean history uh, we're not able to be given that without taking it um, to let that sit and to let myself feel it and to honor it um, I think has been a big part of my poetry and I, I am happy and proud of it as a part of black culture. You know, uh, there's a lot of white conservative American culture is all about guns and defense. Um, and you know, they get to have their anger over honestly threats that we cannot in all honesty say are accurate. Um, Mm -hmm. and then they demand that we are perfectly calm. And, um, I, I'm just not going to, to concede to that demand. I do not have to.
Thank you to Sally and Carissa for sharing their work, their thoughts, and their conversation with us. We can't wait to have you back for part two in the next installment of the podcast. And thank you to our listeners for joining us in this episode of Speaking in First Draft. Check back bi-weekly on Wednesdays for a new episode, and make sure you subscribe to Speaking in First Draft wherever you get your podcasts. Much like the drafts in these episodes, we're just starting out, and we'd greatly appreciate any feedback you have. Leave us a review wherever you listen to this episode and tell your friends. This episode is a production of Girls Right Now. It was edited and hosted by me, Catherine Dustin, produced by both Vani Kura and myself, and recorded by Sally Familia. See you next time, and happy writing.